Hello and welcome to Believe in Chelsea. I'm your host Rob Prattley and it has been a few weeks since I've recorded a Believe in CFC episode mainly due to the fact that our fixtures have constantly been postponed. Firstly you had the weekend where the Queen had unfortunately passed away on the Friday which postponed all fixtures. Then Chelsea's game against Liverpool was also postponed so we haven't had an episode since we discussed Chelsea drawing with Arbe Salzburg in the Champions League. Obviously a frustrating result on Graham Potter's first night in charge. Again, it was a similar story to a lot of games in the last year for Chelsea. A good initial performance, but kept the ball well, did create chances, but didn't take them enough. And then ultimately at the very end, uh, done in by an individual mistake and failed to capitalise on it. But today to discuss the more recent two matches, both Crystal Palace and AC Milan, I've got another guest. It's my friend Ben from the Chelsea Social. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very, very excited to be here. It's it's something very new. I uh, love the format of the podcast, so I'm very, very excited to get started. Marvellous. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really glad to sort of hear that. And again, again, just as some background, I've known Ben for quite a while now. He's been involved in my other project, the Chelsea Social, for... Just over two years now? Just yeah, like yeah, years, just I over think. two years. And he, you know, has done pretty much everything for us at various times. And yeah, I'm really a you know, great friend. I'm really delighted to have him on. I'm really delighted to have him on discussing, you know, our favourite team and, you know, in our view, probably the best team in the world. Um, <laughs> but obviously we had the game against Crystal Palace at the weekend, a 2-1 victory. Uh, just your overall thoughts on the game before we go into the nitty-gritty. Yeah, I think in general it was it was an eye-opening one with it being Potter's first game where he actually had a lot of time to fully work out the way he wanted to play with the the sorts of one with the games being um postponed here and there obviously he had a little bit of time but it was very much rushed he he didn't have a full understanding of what he wanted I mean Aspilicueta played centre back which we haven't seen really happen in years in a, in a two back formation successfully um which which goes to show you know, the sort of situation he was in going into that first game. But it was interesting to see how he lined up. Uh, I was very happy with the outcome in the end, albeit if Gallagher had not scored that goal, we might have looked at it a little bit differently. But I think on the whole, very positive result. And again, the goal at the end really has lifted this team, as we've seen this week. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a good point. Obviously, it didn't start in the ideal fashion. Um, Chelsea once again went down 1-0 early on, this time from Odson Edouard, capitalising on Wesley Fofana's mistake. And, I mean, really, defensive mistakes have been the story of the season for Chelsea. I think every single player in the squad at some point has made a mistake that's led to either a goal or led to a big, big chance. Uh, this time, Fofana giving it away really cheaply. And, you know, uh, as we expected, um, Crystal Palace counter-attacking into the space, great ball in and Odds on Edouard finish well. And at that point, you know, you were a little bit worried, weren't you? Because we did wobble a little bit. Yeah, I think when that went in, it was one of them. It was that, that cliche Chelsea performance. We start well and we look like we're going to dominate a game. And then suddenly we get caught on the break. And as you say, an individual mistake that has happened so many times this season from... I, I, it's not as if, like, Fafana's done it many, many times. It just happened with everybody. And once that goal goes in, you, you fear for the worst because you you've seen us many a time go one down to a team and fail to break them down. Like, um, what's it? Oh, I forgot the name of the team. Uh, first game in the Champions League. Uh, against Dino Dino Zaga. 
Yeah, Dinamo Zagreb, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When we went 1-0 down there, we just we struggled to create things. Um, we, we, we just didn't look like we were going to get back in the game, albeit the chances we had. So going 1-0 down to Palace in that situation, you did fear for, for the worst and to concede in that manner was, was very sort of disappointing. Mm. But obviously, thankfully, Chelsea did manage to turn the game around. Um, firstly, you know, they had some good chances themselves. Obviously, we did survive, I think, a little bit of a scare with Thiago Silva, um, where he obviously went down and um, used gamesmanship, shall we say, to stop a Palace attack <laughs> after he was pressured by Jordan Ayew. Uh, honest thoughts, red card or not? I think, yes. I think, as stated by a lot of people across Twitter, he's probably saved by the fact Jordan Ayew was going slightly away from the goal, but I do think Silva clearly touches the ball. He knows what he's doing. And I think, albeit, Jordan Ayew is running away, but there's not a lot to say. He doesn't curve his road or play somebody else in or you know go through on goal. It it's it's a difficult one, and I think had the ref given a red card straight away, I don't think they would have overturned it. But I think the fact that he gave him a yellow, and then they looked at it, I don't think it was obvious enough to turn it around. But honest thoughts, if I had one look at it, I'd probably heard red card. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. And again, obviously, you know, as I said on Twitter, you have to mitigate the fact that it was Jordan Ayew. So goal scoring <laughs> opportunity is is generous. But I do agree. I think they, you know, they did look like they would probably have made the right pass and got the ball sort of in that they needed. But obviously, Thiago Silva then makes them pay uh, a few minutes later. You know, a long pass from Reese James forward from the back. Thiago Silva you know, making, playing that role that, you know, Drogba and Giroud would be proud of with the knockdown. And uh, there's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the swivel. And to be honest, I think as soon as anyone saw that ball bounce and saw him on the swivel, you just thought it was going in. You knew it was a goal because Aubameyang is frustrating at times. He doesn't really contribute much to build-up play, but he is a pure finisher and he is the sort of guy, what you see is what you get. You know you're going to get goals from him. Yeah, 100%. I think it come at the right kind of time for Aubameyang because he's had a few games where he'd been sort of in and around the side and he, as you say he's not really partaking in build-up much and he could go games where he doesn't really heavily feature and you're a little bit concerned the Salzburg game he wasn't involved much he he had that sort of one that slipped under his foot when Sterling scored you know he, he has a lot of sort of needly moments so for him to go and score a goal I mean not only a goal in general but a goal of that calibre excellent finish into the bottom corner has clearly done wonders for his confidence albeit he's not playing to the sort of level that we've seen Aubameyang play to in previous years but as you say the the finishing aspect is still there so for him to sort of get that back and score a goal of that calibre is quite refreshing for Chelsea because we've struggled for a striker for years I'm not saying Aubameyang by any means is going to solve the whole striker problem because you have to tread very, very carefully with that topic. But for for him to clearly have that finishing ability installed back in him is is very, very nice to see. I think you've also got to also remember Aubameyang's age. He's not a long-term solution in there. But I think given the yeah. nature of the market as it was, as a stopgap option for a few years, I think there's very few better options that were available in the summer. And of course, Chelsea could have almost got in at half-time in the lead. They had the effort from Mount that was headed just wide. And then they also had that you know free kick, which I think Mount probably should have done better with. But coming into the second half, it was obviously clear that Graham Potter wasn't very happy because he took Jorginho off 
quite early in the second half and brought on Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Do you think maybe we're going to see less of Jorginho under Graham Potter? I think so. I think the way Potter plays, he, he likes that energy in midfield. We've seen it. I mean, last night, I won't obviously go into the game too much, but having covering Ruben as a sort of midfield two, it's very refreshing to see because both of them bring bursts of energy in different ways. Jorginho, albeit a fantastic player at the best of times, he doesn't bring that energy. He often sort of slows the side down a lot. We've seen him be liable to many mistakes. Um, defensively, he doesn't solve that issue. So for him to, to come off, and we looked a better team that second half. We actually looked like scoring. Obviously, we, we went and scored in the end and won the game. But I think Jorginho at times slows the game down because it's not his type of football. So I think eventually we will with everything going on. I mean, there's talk of Jorginho leaving all the time. It's every bloody transfer window. But I think now would be the right kind of time to look at somebody like Jorginho and look at moving him on because it's a time where you're, you're, you're not going to get more money for him. If they look at it from a financial perspective, I don't think they're going to get another opportunity to sell him for the current prices that you know people might be looking at him for. But I, I just don't, don't think that he fits the way Graham Potter wants to play going forward. And I don't think he has that attacking element mm. uh, to sort of bring into that midfield. Yeah, and I do think it's fair to say, again, you sort of said we look better. We did have a lot of chances in that second half, albeit some of them maybe half chances, but obviously the Havertz effort where he should have done better with the Chilwell effort where he completely blazed over following the attack. Sterling's effort where, again, he spent far too long deciding what he wanted to do and the chance was, you know, crowded out. Uh, Havertz is sort of headed straight at the goalkeeper as well. You know, yeah. Chelsea, although Palace did have that very good effort through um, Zaha late on after he'd switched onto the uh, right-hand side, which, you know, Kepa did well and stopped well, um, it was probably a game where if there was a side looking more likely to win it, it was Chelsea. Yeah, 100%. Uh, as I say, I think that's a testament to players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek coming on and bringing us that, not only the energy in midfield, but that attacking intent and that push to go and get a goal. A lot of times you mm. see Jorginho will be you know, fighting for a goal and he'll, he'll turn around and pass backwards. And that's not a bad thing, but it doesn't win you games. So for players to come on that like to play this progressive football and as we'll tap into later, Broya coming on, Gallagher coming on, players that really have this attacking mentality and desire coming on the pitch just made us look more and more likely as if we were going to score the winner towards the end of the game. And eventually we ended up doing that. Yeah, of course. And I think um, now we have to discuss that winner again. When he came on as a substitute, they uh, the commentator alluded that it was possibly written in the stars and, you know, football loves these sort of narratives. But obviously Conor Gallagher from... Uh, sort of 25 yards out in front of the Crystal Palace fans that treated him so well and gave him such a great reception after he came on as well. After you know, give them real credit for that. They gave him and both him and Loftus Cheek good receptions after both of them have had good loan spells at Selhurst Park. And Gallagher found the top corner. And to his credit, he didn't celebrate. I mean, I personally believe all players should celebrate every goal, regardless of how long they've been at clubs. Like to me, it's sort of a moot point, but I know a lot of people love this, you know, perceived respect. Um, but yeah, obviously, it adds something different. We actually had a shot from outside the box. And, you know, shockingly, when you shoot on goal, you do sometimes score. It's very refreshing to see because we've had, like, Chelsea's midfield for years, albeit has been incredible, the the Jorginho, Kovacic, Kante sort of midfield three that have been interchanging. They are sensational players, but you lose that attacking threat in that midfield. None of them 
would ever dare take a shot outside the box. I've seen it. I can count on sort of one hand the amount of times. I would say of those one three, the one that's likely to shoot from outside the box is Kante. Yeah, and you've he seen him score it many a times. And that is what is mental to consider because Kante, one, is never fit, and two, never takes them on, yet he's still the more likely to take them on out of all of them. So for somebody like Gallagher to come into the team and he, he albeit had a had a shaky start and you know the the Leicester game didn't help his case and you could tell he was he, he was giving so much to the club and I, I like to see it and the people moan about passion and you know say that it covers up a bad performance but you can tell that he, he clearly loves the, the club and he will give his everything for it albeit you know sometimes he does try too hard and that can be his own downfall but mm. to see him come off the bench and at a time where he was maybe being questioned amongst the fan base and people were wondering, you know, may, maybe he gets moved on in January. For him to come on and score the winner against his former team and, you know, really rescue Chelsea from what was a sticky situation. You know, if we'd have come out of that game one all draw, that's two games in for Potter and no win. I'm not saying people raise eyebrows, but there's a little bit of sort of disgruntled across a fan gate, fan base moaning because we've just sacked Thomas Tuchel and bought a guy in that's you know come out with two draws, and then you know Gallagher's gone and scored an absolute worldie, sensational strike, and it will do absolute wonders for his confidence. Yeah. You even saw it last night; he played quite well off the bench, had a lot of energy going forward and looked like when everybody sort of wanted to keep the ball controlled the game, he looked like he wanted to go and score one more and he was one of the only players who looked like doing that. And it's it's sensational to see that happen to a young player who clearly cares about the club. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the point about him trying too hard is a really, really good one. I said this to a couple of people, I think, you know, he almost needed to just sit back at times and remember that he is, you know, good enough. Whereas at times I think Gallagher has just due to the nature of the play he is because he's so all action and dynamic he was you know taking that extra touch when he didn't need it or trying you know rather than trying a 20 yard pass he was going for the 30 yard pass to try and impress people and I think you know getting that first goal it gets the monkey off the back it settles the player down and yeah suddenly they're able to kick on um and that sort of you know is a big big thing um on the topic of you know midfielders and attacking midfielders uh, moving on from the Crystal Palace game, I think it's important to discuss uh, that obviously Chelsea's transfers from their perspective are certainly still ongoing. It's still very much rebuilding the squad and we're being linked with quite a lot with very exciting um, attacking midfielder slash centre forward. And again, the deal is almost done to sign Christoph Nkunku um, to bring him in from RB Leipzig. Uh, it sort of will be around... It will be slightly over what his release clause is, with release clause around £60 million. But Chelsea are acting early. They have gone and actually had Nkunku already do a medical. And they are looking to, you know, get the pre-contract signed. It's now getting towards a point where the club are actually thinking how they announce it and when they announce it, what the format of the announcement is. Is it similar to the ZH one where you sort of, you know, get a sort of statement from the club and then obviously the transfer preludes it? Or do they wait until 2023 and they announce it on the 1st of January. Um, it's getting towards that point, but obviously I appreciate you may not watch as much as Christoph and Kunku because of, uh, you know, him playing in the Bundesliga. And I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but just of what you know of the player, um, your thoughts on the potential transfer and on this potential signing? Yeah, I've seen little bits and pieces. I can't say I've watched him extensively, but it's exciting to see Bully clearly have a push towards this young talent. And 
as you say about getting it done early, I think that is something that Chelsea's struggle with in general, bar the Holzich um, deal, is actually getting things in place early. We you know we often leave it a lot to the last minute, and I mean we've had our fair share of like deadline day panic deals. So to bring in a player like Nkunku, who I mean, he's clearly been playing well in the Bundesliga to get the recognition that he has got. You know, for the money that the club are going to spend on him, he looks like he'll come in and hopefully similar role to sort of Kai Havertz in that attack, very sort of fluent. He can play a lot across that front line. It'll be interesting to see where he actually fits into the team. I know he, he sort of plays more in the attacking midfield role, but we've seen him play up front. Um, so whether Potter plays him as a, a false nine or he drops him back into that midfield and maybe you know, goes to a 4-3-3 and sort of has has him a little bit higher than two centre mids. Mm. I think, albeit, relies on who else we end up bringing in, if we bring in another striker or if he decides to stick with Nkunku. But either way, it's a very exciting transfer for Chelsea. And I think bringing in attacking talent is only going to make our attack better. It sounds silly, but you've got players like Havertz, like Mount, um, who haven't kicked on as much this season. And having somebody like and Kunku breathing down your neck is obviously going to spark some sort of reaction in them and get the best out of them, if, if anything. Yeah. Um, especially somebody like Kai Havertz, because he is very much like for like position wise. He can play false nine, he can play in the midfield, which is where Havertz sort of flourishes. So it'll be very interesting to see the reactions of the players. And as I say, you can only bring out the best in them. And you, you're bringing somebody in who is a world class talent as well. It can only be good news for Chelsea. Yeah, and again, also coming up the age, obviously being 25, his best years are still very much ahead of him, you'd hope. So yeah. it still has that longevity as well, which is perhaps something we've not necessarily had with some deals in the past. We've tended to go for players that are sort of more sort of 27, 28, players that are sort of ready in their prime now, whereas in Nkunku's case, there's still a little bit more development. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm not saying he's sort of 21, 22, but it's more sort of like the Liverpool Model, as I sort of said to people, where they've signed, you know, Jota and play, uh, players like Roberto Firmino when he was sort of slightly older when he came in. And they're bringing in these players that have had that time and that experience elsewhere and are now ready to kick on and, you know, be that level. Sadio Mane is another one of them um, uh, where they've sort of had them and they've bringing them in and they've had time elsewhere to develop. And now they're ready to be that complete package now that they've had that time to develop. Yeah, and as I say, it, it's a very interesting way of doing it and seeing it done at Liverpool and clearly successfully done at Liverpool, um, not making the same mistakes that you know we've done in the past. And I, again, a prime example, it, it's probably not as relevant as such. Something like Romelu Lukaku was bought in in his prime years and bought in for an absolute vat of money. And you know, people were mainly concerned about the resale value. Um, obviously, everything that happened with the interview and that it clearly hindered his Chelsea career in that sense. But that <clears throat> there is a clear sort of like lesson learned from that as to maybe stray away from actually buying them properly in the prime and maybe getting them on the slightly cheaper side and letting them flourish, like we've seen with many players in the past, like Eddie Hazard when he was bought in, he was bought in and just they they allowed him to flourish, allowed him to just grow as a player and he became world class so I'm hoping that Nkunku knocks on and does the same mm. and uh, on to topic of other world class attackers people would like to see join Chelsea Chelsea did get a chance to view one of them up close on uh, 
Wednesday night as AC Milan visited uh, Stamford Bridge and uh, in the Champions League. And this was obviously a must-win game. And Chelsea responded in style and won, you know, 3-0 against the Italian champions. Um, I think we, you know, go straight into this. Obviously, Chelsea didn't start, I think, brilliantly. They were a little bit nervy in the opening few minutes, but they got a couple of set pieces, firstly, which Thiago Silva was denied once by uh, Cyprian Tatarasanu. And then from the subsequent set piece, Silva's header again saved by Tatarasanu, but the ball bounced up and uh, in penalty box pinball, there was uh, Wesley Fofana there to side home and sweep it into the far corner. A very decent finish, actually, and a very accomplished finish, considering the number of players in front of him and in and around him. But obviously great for him to get the monkey off the back, get the first goal. Obviously, it's not a primary thing for a defender, but it's always nice when a centre-back pops up and he's a goal scorer, isn't it? Yeah, and it, the the situation in general with it all, it came at a time where we really did need it. That early goal was massive for us because we absolutely battered them after that. We you know completely dominated them. They rarely had an attack other than you know t- towards sort of the end of the first half, and it, it felt like with the, the whole corner situation, when you see it sometimes in boxing, they sort of notice a little weakness on the opponent. And the, you know, maybe like a cut in the eye or something, and and they clearly target it. And straight away, when you saw Silva get that free header, you thought, "Hang on a minute," you know, put it exactly in the same place. And then Chilwell took the other one, put it in the same place again, and Silva won it again. And then he put it in exactly the same place, but pretty much again, Silva wins it again, and, and we score from it. So refreshing is to to see us make use of that. And as you said, for Fafana, it's very nice to see him grab his first goal for the club. Obviously, the injury has sort of hindered the, the game as such for him, but we're wishing him a speedy recovery. But it it's similar to Gallagher in that sense. will help him so much settle in. I, I, he's not naturally bought in for goal scoring, but we've seen him be a little bit shaky in the Chelsea team at times and not currently look as if he... He fits at the moment. I think he will. I think he'd be a fantastic player for the club. But, you know, he's been cut out one or two times. So something like a goal and a goal that at the time set us on to winning will help him so much going forward and mean, hopefully, that you know we can put all that beside him and continue to crack on now and really become the player that we know he can be. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's important, though, as we sort of say, he went off injured. And it was quite notable, I think, that Potter went to Trevor Chaloba rather than Cesar Azpilicueta. I mean, you know, we're so often used to seeing Azpi, if we're in a situation like that, being the man who Chelsea have chose, have turned to, to come on and play in a back three. But this time it was Chalaba, who obviously has had limited time this season. I think this was the first time he's played under Graham Potter and his first chance to, you know, show what he could do. But he came on and looked really accomplished, I think. And he sort of, you know, he has that extra, he has that real physicality and that real pace as a defender, which I think is something really helpful in a back three. Yeah, I was very impressed by Chalaba, to be fair. He's he's had his critics in the past, especially towards the end of last season. I think he had a poor ending towards the last season. I think the sort of run we went on of playing Liverpool, like pretty much every week, you saw him get skinned so many times by players like Diaz and Salah. And he looked like he lost confidence in himself but he came on and as you say it was very interesting to see him go with Chalabra uh, over Aspi but in a way I kind of like that he went with that I think Aspilicueta obviously massive club legend and deserves all the respect in the world but he has been poor this season when he's played and 
you've seen it against Salzburg. You know, it was realistically the fault for the goal, and it's ended up costing us two points in the end. He's he's made mistakes this season, and towards the end of last season, he didn't look fantastic. So to actually say, you know what, we're going to give Chalabra a chance instead. I really like to see that from Potter, and I like how he uses the youth. Obviously, he's got to be careful how he, he manages that sort of situation, but Chalabra came on, and he was he was fantastic. And, I mean, straight away, when somebody... I can't remember who took him on. It might have been Rafael Leal. It but, was Leal, yeah. Well, Leal yeah, tried yeah. to run past him, and Chaloba just showed him the line. And, you know, nothing... Nothing smart about the defend. Nothing, you know, like technical, flashy about the defending. Just smart defending to, you know, make him take that extra big touch, make him go through, and suddenly, you know, it means that you're in a situation where you can't really sort of burst past him. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was really good to see from I think Chelmer's point of view because there's been many times where somebody has knocked around him and just skinned him. The amount mm. of times that Luis Diaz had him like that when we you know we I think we played him in the Premier League and then we played him in the FA Cup or something and it was within the space of a few weeks and it was happening all the time so he's clearly learned from that and being a young player he's got so much room to grow and we saw him in the first probably the first half of the season of last season he was absolutely superb one of the best you know knocking about young talents in English football and he lost his way a bit and fell out of the side and picked up an injury here and there but as I say, the job he did last night, there's no reason why he shouldn't be competing with three centre-backs and now with Fafana injured. There was no reason why he shouldn't be stepping into that spot and coming into the regular back three if Potter decides to play a back three. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Obviously, on Rafael Leal watch, in general, Reese James did keep him quiet, but they did have that chance right on half-time where he just, you know, breezed past James and Chaloba and sat up rather Krunic, although Krunic's effort was over the bar, mix of, you know, poor finishing from a player who's not much of a goal scorer, combined with some good, you know, last-ditch defending from Chilwell getting his body in the way. But besides that, AC Milan didn't really create anything at all in the first half, did they? No, it, it was really strange to see. They looked completely off the pace. They weren't chasing Chelsea to any of the balls. We were just happy to let them have possession. We were making so many runs through that they didn't have a chance to, to go forward, really. That little burst from Liao was obviously sensational bit of play and you know I was sat there watching it and I, I'd looked away for a brief second I, I looked down at my phone I looked up and you know he's walked through three four players yeah. and they've got a chance to nearly scored which you know it was mental considering the situation he was in but that was their only real chance that first off they did not look like creating anything for a team that you know have clearly succeeded going forward playing in the Serie A and having players like I mean Olivier Giroud is, is is no wash player. He clearly has some goal-scoring ability and he's shown it this season. He's shown it the last few years in the Serie A. So for him not to get a sniff at goal whatsoever, you know, they them having the occasional chance in the second half, nothing of note at all, really. Mm. Again, it is great to see from a Chelsea point of view because we've struggled so much defensively this season. So much. Like, conceding horrendous goals and goals that you know may maybe mistakes but just poor defending we've got three of the best defenders arguably in the world in Koulibaly Tiago for Fafana they're supposed to be the best defense in the world and Mendy usually behind them supposedly the best keeper in the world and yet we have been absolutely terrible this season defensively so to come in and to get a clean sheet against one of the best 
teams in the in the world on the day. Um, albeit they've had a slightly poor season this season, but you know they're still a top top team to to get a clean sheet and not allow them a chance, pretty much whatsoever, was really really good to see. Mm. And again for the second goal, Aubameyang doing what Aubameyang does, right place, right time. Yeah, it was um, again kind of came out of nowhere the the whole shot. It looked like it sort of caught Aubameyang by surprise when it came in, but again, Reese James absolutely sensational. Put it on a plate, and Aubameyang is is there, and that's what he'll do. You know, he he won't go and run in behind and chase a ball and you know knock it around the keeper and score. He's not got that anymore. He's not gonna you know take on three players and not one in the top corner. But what he will do is if you play the ball into him from five, six yards out, he's going to score. And that's what he's brought in to do. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, he's been brought in as a stopgap, really, for the club. And all you want in, you know, a player considered to be a stopgap is for them to just finish the chances that they created. He, he didn't do anything special in the game, but when he was needed to score, he, he converted. And again, it's, it's really sort of refreshing from that point of view because that is now two and two. And that is two, realistically, two challenges, uh, two chances that he's converted. Mm. You might miss one here and there, but he's clearly clinical. So if they keep setting him up chances like that, you've got Chelsea will get sort of criticised for their creativity sometimes, but you've got creators in that team. Reese James being the main one, you know, we've seen compilations of the the balls he's putting in the box and nobody getting on the end of it. If you put a bammy on on the end of one of them crosses, he's going to convert. Yeah. So, for him to kind of keep knocking on now and scoring, it only means well for the future. And if he can keep it up, he could be looking at 10, 15, 20, even 20 goals a season with the chances that we create. And just uh, quickly, I think we have to discuss Rhys James. Now best right back in the world. Move over Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm sorry, James can do everything you can do, but he can also defend. Yeah, just... There's no words for for Reece James. The way he has kicked on, I've never seen a player like the way, like sort of kick into that team the way he did in that first game he played ever against Palace for for Chelsea in the first team, the Premier League game um, that he played, and just come in and look so natural and clearly offer something. You see a lot of young players. And, you know, they'll have a few good games and a few off games. You've seen it with, with Mason Mount. Mason Mount's still a fantastic player. But he will have his off games and he'll have a game where he looks superb. Reese James, I've not seen him have an off game in years. Unless unless he's injured, he is always the main threat in the Chelsea team. He, I, I, I've got no more words to describe other than he is absolutely sensational. He can do anything you need him to do. If, if he needs to be played in a back three, he can. If you want him to defend, if we're against a really, really like solid attacking team, he can, you know, defend. He did against Vinicius Junior, who's you know arguably one of the best players in the world going forward at the moment. And then to go up the pitch and do as he did against Juventus last season, and score an absolute worldie, and you know clearly look like the main threat for that Chelsea team without Rhys James. Chelsea struggle in that game. We you know we go one 0 ahead and then. Maybe there's a bit of doubt creeping in. We might, you know, grab another one. You, you have a player like Rhys James in there. It makes it so much easier to get out of them situations, and it's it's nice to see him play in fullback again, uh, in wingback again, because we can get him down that line. That that run is, it, it's a striker's run and a striker's finish. 
from a fullback who can literally do everything. He is just an absolutely sensational player. Cool. So, obviously, a nice 3 0 win. And now, your chance for your own, you know, win this evening <laughs> is it's time for our quiz. Now, for those that don't know, the rules are you have one minute and a half, five questions. You get points for each question right. You lose points for incorrect questions and you get points for remaining time. You can't just go ahead and just say pass on everything because you don't get any points for that. So don't try it. But are you ready? I am ready. Marvellous. Okay. I will put the timer on and... Your timer will start in a few moments. What? Take a deep breath. Again, there's a there's a tight leaderboard at the moment, so you have a good chance to get yourself ahead, get yourself up there. There is a What's prize for first place. For? There is a forfeit for whoever finishes bottom of the league. You know, relegation oh, zone. But anyway, we're ready to go. In. Three, two, one. Who did Andrei Shevchenko score his first Chelsea goal against? I don't even know if I was born then. Um, Malaga. It was not Malaga. It was another team <laughs> whose name starts with M. It was Middlesbrough. Close. Second question. Who scored a hat-trick for Chelsea against Burnley in October 2019? Christian Pulisic. Yeah, that's correct. Number three. Who was Chelsea's first signing in 2010? Ah, oh, uh, Daniel Sturridge? No, it was Patrick Van Aanholt. Oh, <laughs> Number three, uh, number four. Which Chelsea player scored the away goal against Benfica in 2012? Was oh no, it wasn't the Real Morales game, was it? I'll go Real Morales. He's the only one I can think it, it of. It wasn't Real Morales. No, it was Solomon Kalou no. away, ah. away at Burnley, set up by Fernando Torres. Um, away at Benfica. Sorry. And finally, who scored Chelsea's last UEFA Champions League goal away from home? How much time do I have? <laughs> the clock, you've got 15 seconds left. Uh, Hakim Ziyech. It was not Hakim Ziyech. It was Timo no. Werner. Timo Werner, yeah. Last year at the Bernabeu. So, yeah. six, <laughs> five seconds left on the clock. You scored one out of five, which means you get a combined <laughs> score of 15. Yes. I'm afraid. Oh, no. You join bottom of the league. <laughs> Oh dear, Ellie. So there might have to be a tiebreak. Yeah, we might have to have a relegation playoff at the end of the season, right? I should have just guessed a random name. I'd have been fine. <laughs> you, could, you could have. I mean, <laughs> so far everyone continues to struggle with the quiz, but maybe someone very will get, difficult. It maybe very someone difficult. Will get a few right. I'm, I'm disappointed you didn't know who Andrei Shevchenko scored his first goal against in that two-one loss to Middlesbrough. But anyway, Where, what year was that? That was in 2000... Was it 2005? I would have been one. I mean, that's not my <laughs> fault, really. No, it wasn't. It was 2006. So, oh, there yeah, you go. Years, no, ex- no excuse for not knowing your history. But <laughs> anyway, we have another episode of this upcoming this weekend where I'll be looking at the Wolves match and then we'll be previewing AC Milan round two. Ben, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and find your content? Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, it's at CarefreeCFC. Um, there's no point going for the Instagram because there is nothing on there. If you want to support any of the projects that I'm working on, there's obviously the Chelsea Social Instagram. Uh, it's a project that 
I, I sort of manage. Um, I also have my own little sort of production company that I'm going to plug while I'm here. So that's Stuck Up Films. We do advertisements, short films, any that kind of stuff. So if you want to check any of that content out, feel free to on Instagram. Um, yeah, other than that, thank you for inviting me on. I've really enjoyed myself and I'll see you all again, hopefully. Yeah, marvellous. And yeah, to everyone else, thank you very much for listening. Keep the blue flag flying high as always. And this has been Believe in Chelsea. I've been your host, Rob Prattley. Have a fantastic day.